Welcome to the Inspirational Australians podcast, where we chat to people making a difference in their communities and in the lives of others. And here is your host for today, Josh Griffin. Thanks, Annette. Before we get into this week's episode, just wanting to ask a quick favour. We would love for you to rate and review the podcast because it really helps us to get these episodes out and share these stories of inspirational Australians. And that's the whole reason we started this podcast. Plus, don't forget to check us out, Inspirational Australians, on Instagram and on Facebook. And uh, speaking of social media, check out the Young Achieve Rewards too while you're there, because we're sharing the stories of the semi-finalists and finalists in this year's Young Achieve Rewards. And there's some really great stories. Now, lastly, tell us about any Inspirational Australians that you know. Email us info at awardsaustralia.com. And who knows, we could be interviewing someone that you recommend to us. So on to today's guest, I am really excited to be interviewing a fellow South Australian like myself, an Olympian, a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, someone who's played AFLW, appeared on TV, radio and print to cover sports. And if you believe her bio, she's a gold Logie winning actor too. (laughs) Georgie Parker, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. A bio that might not be 100% correct. (laughs) Yeah, well, I stole your own gag on your, I think it's a Facebook bio, so no, it's hilarious. I always laugh at it. Yeah, and and do you know what? It's starting to fade out because um, kids of today, like the new generation, whatever they're called, Generation X or whatever, they don't know who Georgie Parker is. So I've kind of got to pick my clientele of who I use that to. Otherwise, you get a bit of cricket. So, of course. Yeah, totally. They didn't watch her in, uh, what was it, a country practice or All Saints, which I guess that was a long time ago now. So, um, yeah, it doesn't, you know, some people are like, kids are like, what? You've won gold Logies? I'm like, oh, no, hon. <laughs> Just a joke. Yeah. Well, um, that's such a, a long, you know, such a cool list of uh, achievements that I just read off the top there. You know, I don't want to dive into it too too quick, too soon, but is one of those something that really you know, when you reflect back, think, wow, I actually did that. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, I guess they're all um, completely different. The gold logie never happened. But um, the, I mean, Commonwealth Games gold medal, that was um, a really exciting time. Same year, that year we won um, the, a silver medal at the World Cup as well. But to go on and then um, play, I guess what was my childhood dream of to play footy um, was really exciting and to actually be able to get a game um, learning a sport as an adult was pretty um, special Um, I mean I was that generation that you know I wanted to play footy as a kid and you're getting told as a kid well you actually can't you're a girl and it's a it's quite sad when you look back at it you know like I was a kid with you know a bowl haircut that wanted I was trying to be like my favorite player Sean Wren which I don't know why he was my favorite player but he was you know it was a completely different time back then where you only had male athletes to look up to. You weren't allowed to, you know, you're pigeonholed into what was female sports. Um, so to be able to kind of be part of that shift in um, a generation where, you know, your gender has no boundaries, it's, it's really quite exciting. Um, and to, you know, be part of one of those years that it was forming and creating, it was, it was really, really special. So as much as my achievements playing hockey they were my lifelong goals because that's what I was kind of forced to play because I wasn't allowed to play footy to be able to then transition into a footy player was so exciting um nerve-wracking the, the, the emotions there's just so many emotions going through um, my mind when I was getting my first game and playing and you know getting our first win as well so 
you know, there's so many different achievements that are completely different in some ways. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's a, it's kind of weird. It's hard to kind of pick which one was the most special. We always follow, you know, the uh, the careers and the journeys of the people involved with our awards programs. And I'll remember that really clearly um, seeing, I can't remember if it was on, you know, a news or an article that we'd picked up and uh, saw that you, you know, were playing for Collingwood in AFLW. And that was, yeah, that was such a cool thing to read. And like you said, it was a huge, huge achievement to go from playing in the Olympics for the hockey, for the hockey roos, and then to the AFLW. Um, for those who don't know, how did that work? Like, how did you kind of put your hand up and say, hey, I want to give this a go or... Uh, so I, I, after the Olympics, I went overseas to Belgium and lived a year over there and played, I had kind of have a semi-professional league over there. So I was living over there with my partner and we we're both just living the dream. You know, I was drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of Belgium chocolate and chips and um, had no real intention to play higher level sport than what I was playing. Um, I then got approached by a few clubs. I think, you know, I was only 27, 28 at the time and you know, that's not particularly old to not be playing high-level sport when um, you've been an elite athlete for 10 years. So I had a, got approached by a bunch of clubs and I thought, well, do you know what? Physically, I can do this. I stopped playing hockey because it takes – it's a long process. It's not season by season. Um, if I wanted to go to the next Olympics, it's another four-year commitment. It's not another year commitment, then you reassess. It's four years that you kind of have to be mentally prepared for. And I just didn't think I was ready for that. So – I, you know, thought, nah, do you know what? Just enjoy being young and starting to work and do all these things. But then um, when footy came along, I said, you know what? I'm physically able to do this. I don't have to commit for longer than one year, then another year, then another year, kind of at a time. Um, so not that I wasn't able to do four years worth of, you know, physical sport. It's more that mentally I couldn't for hockey. So I thought, well, do you know what? It was actually, it would have been, I could have put myself in my eight-year-old shoes and thought, yeah. how stupid would you be to not um, take up this offer and opportunity? Um, had a couple of clubs to choose from and ended up choosing uh, Collingwood. So I could be in Melbourne just to start pursuing some of my work um, career as well. Um, and it was kind of a nice way to go from being a full-time athlete to a part-time athlete, being able to work. So kind of tra transitioning out of sport as well. But um, yeah, so they kind of scouted me um, at the time and, you know, going from hockey, which yes, it's a field sport and you get to run a lot. So physically I was fine, but I'm going from using a stick and ball and not letting the ball touch your feet to having to catch and kick and having to learn a whole new skill set. So um, it was uh, quite eye-opening and humbling to be able to, to have to learn a new skill, especially as an adult where I've gone from being, you know, one of the best in my team and then the world into being the worst in my team you know that was <laughs> that was quite eye-opening and um and scary and you know bruised your ego pretty hard but it's as well learning something as an adult um especially something when it's about your body um you learn much quicker and faster because it's sink or swim isn't it so um sure. managed to, to swim a little bit but um it was a, it was a really really exciting time and um, fun time learning something and getting better you know quicker and quicker than you would because I guess this is a really long answer sorry but when, when I was at the top of hockey you know I was fine-tuning skills by the end of it it takes a long time to just kind of get that one percent whereas yep. in I was you know making huge steps every time I was on the field so that was really fun as well so um, there was a lot to go with and I just absolutely loved it yeah that would have been yeah that's a really cool way to put it to think of that one percent versus you know when you're 
learning yeah. something new, not that you were new to 40, but in a professional sense. Um, yeah, that would have been growth. really cool. There's more growth opportunity because you've got more to learn. Uh, so it, it was really fun, uh, scary, but really fun. Yeah, that's cool. And do you have like a standout memory from you know, just being involved with footy? Because as you said, I know that you had, um, you know, wanted to work in media and, and sport as well. I guess, I mean, having to play, getting to play my first match was um, just awesome. And that was a, a good win there as well. I just even remember my first mark and first kick, you know, like I'll, I'll never forget exactly where I was on the field and running and kicking and um, absolutely nailed the kick as well, mind you. I Excellent. came off and everyone's like, that's that's the best I've ever seen you kick the ball. So, <laughs> um, Saved yeah. it for the right moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just being there and just seeing kids um, have this opportunity and kids and girls in particular watch and be able to idolise females that for me is is the the most precious part of aflw um and you know there's no boundaries there for them that that's the best part of it all um and as well as it gets um, more and more um professional and the standard gets better and better watching men as well watch it and go that was actually pretty good um and rather than being surprised them just expecting it as well so it's a huge shift in society and I I love love seeing that um, especially as a female athlete in what is a male dominated sport and industry yeah totally I'm excited about that as a I'm a dad of two young girls and just had that opened my eyes to the you know inequalities and opportunities um and to have them now you know but they may not like sport at all who knows they're only like four and, and two so but it's cool that these opportunities are opening up and, and people like you have done great work to make that a possibility. So thank you very much. Yeah. It's more having that option. I've got a little sister and she's 10 years old and I asked her a couple of years ago, Oh, do you want to play footy? And she goes, no, not really. It's a bit rough. And I go, Oh, well, that's okay. But the fact I can ask her that is what I love. Um, and the fact as well that now all these other sports have gone, actually, we need to start treating our female athletes better because otherwise they're going to go to, sport like AFLW, you know, especially like the powerhouse sports like soccer um, in terms of global aspect, their powerhouse sport, that actually mm. go, well, we've got to treat our athletes better and look after them. Netball's doing better and better things with their girls as well. Um, cricket, another example of how, how they're improving. So it's actually changing the landscape of sport in general, not just footy. And, and I love seeing it. That's true. Can I ask you a, a question off the cuff? Um, just thought of it then because uh, I'm thinking in my head, you know, there's so many examples of, as you said, what uh, sports have to lift their game to compete with AFLW. Um, mm-hmm. And the only example I can think of the other way where someone's gone from AFL back to the other sport is Gemma McCormick from, um, I'm trying to remember where she played, Adelaide Crows, I think it was. Okay. And then she, back to the Matildas. Back to the Matildas. So do you think there's anything, you know, that AFLW needs to be doing to, I guess, make sure that it keeps going, you know, that they're attracting the, uh, the top female athletic, athletic talent, I suppose. I, I think they're doing all they can. Um, they're going to be pulling sports out. And I think she's a, a very, um, I guess, she's very specific because she's one of the very lucky ones. She's top 16 of her sport playing um, for the Matildas. And I think of me playing hockey I wouldn't be, Chloe Dalton as well actually has done it for Rugby Sevens. And that's because I look at my, with me, the only reason I'd do it, and I would have never probably left hockey 
to play footy because my life, my um, dream shifted when I was a kid. When I was eight, I said, I want to play footy. When that was taken away from me, my dream became, no, I want to go to the Olympics for hockey. And I wouldn't have changed probably my, my trajectory of hockey for footy if I was as close to going to the Olympics as I was. Um, the fact that I'd finished hockey is the reason why I then came over to the sport. Um, I think if you're top of your level, most people would want to be playing at the top of their sport for longer. Um, just because that was your dream for so long. I think maybe if you're not in the top, you know, top team of whatever sport you're playing, then potentially then you're going to be changing. Gemma clearly is wanting to go to a World Cup for soccer. Um, the soccer girls at the Matildas are getting paid well with great um, benefits, being able to play overseas in these professional competitions um, and a little bit more established as well. But I think what we they need to be aiming for as a, a league with AFLW is getting them, not necessarily us cross-coders to stay in. You won't be having kids when they're 10 or 15 and they're choosing between what sport they're going to play. They're going to play soccer or they're going to play footy, but they're going to play footy. And that's what I think they're doing because the calibre of girls coming through is getting better and better every single year. Um, that's why the standard's so good. But, you know, you're getting these 19, 20-year-olds who are by far the best players in the comp. That doesn't happen in AFL men's yet because yep. they've been playing for so long. But at the moment because they're the ones that's been playing since they're 10 so it's really exciting just to see how the standard's going to go but i don't think they need to be worried about us 30 year olds going back to or 25 year olds going back to their own sport it's getting the 15 year olds to choose the sport to begin with yeah true that's a really good point actually um that's why we're speaking to the experts here <laughs> so um speaking of uh, you know putting yourself in those shoes and, and you brought up then the memory of eight-year-old georgie picking hockey because you were kind of forced into it. Um, what, yeah, when did you start hockey playing? Was it at that time or had you been playing already? No, so literally my first game was on my eighth birthday. I played a year of, I was a really sporty family. I grew up in the country and, um, you know, played the tennis, played the basketball. Um, I played a year of netball and I hated it. The whistle went too often. You couldn't run with the ball. You couldn't get close. And I was always getting picked for contact and, travel and all whatever the rules are I don't know I hated it absolutely hated it and I was reminded why I hated it. I played a social game about three months ago and I probably haven't played since I was eight oh, really? and I remembered why I hated it it's just so frustrating and not for me um so then I said mom I want to play footy you can't she goes here you just need to run around because you're annoying me because I was a bit of a psycho crazy kid you need to run around here's a hockey stick you can go and hit things and and run around a, a big, big field. So I ended up playing hockey and just took to it like duck to water. I just absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, from when I was 10, 11, um, I remember I literally mum still got a, an assignment where I had to say what I was going to be doing in the future. And I said, Oh, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And mum's there going, oh, of course you are, hun. Sure. Because wow. <laughs> every little kid says that, especially like when you're around Olympic year and there's, you've got all these assignments on the Olympics and the origins of it. And I said, I'm going to go to the Olympics. And mum's, okay, sure, honey. And then, you know, 20 years later, there I am actually going. So, um, you know, it's a, a huge credit. It's just, it's not even just a, to me, it's a it's a big family effort um, with that because in, in all Olympic sports and every Olympian will say the same thing because um, it, it takes a lot of, 
time and effort, especially when you're, you know, a teenager and getting to and from trainings and things to be able to achieve that. You don't just magically get to go. So um, it took a lot of time and effort. So I'm very proud of myself and very thankful for the opportunities my family gave me. Well, yeah, your mum sounds like a genius. She identified <laughs> the correct sport very, very well. Um, yeah, and she- so... Speaking of, you said you were a country. Whereabouts were you growing up? I grew up in Berry in the Riverland. So yep. it's quite a hockey, it's quite a sporting area really, but very hockey um, focused. There's actually gold medal Grant Schubert from Loxton just over the river there as well. So, and then as well in my little town, there was another girl that I played with called Carrie McMahon. So we both got to go to the Olympics together from Berry, which is wow. you know a town of four and a half thousand people. It's pretty special. And then there's, you know, it's a very country sport hockey um, as well. We had another couple girls from Crookwell in New South Wales, which is a tiny town of about a thousand. And there's two girls from there going to Olympics. So um, it's, it's very funny that all these small towns have produced such high quality athletes Um uh, yeah, I haven't been that back there in a long time. Moved to the city when I was um, coming into high school, um, but uh, I loved loved growing up in the country. I think that's um, a very big reason as to why I am the way I am. Did you have the right facilities there to play hockey, or were you, you know, constantly playing on grass ovals or? <laughs> Yeah, grass ovals. I do have a, a turf there now, but that wasn't there when I was down there. Um, but that, you know, you learn and adapt and it, it kind of makes you better at certain other things um, playing on grass. Um, I as well had to, you know, play with boys because the the youngest girls team was under 15. So um, I was eight. So they're like, oh, well, maybe we'll just put you with the, you know, under 12 boys because they're not as big as the 15-year-old girls. Um, but that's just what country kids do. You kind of do just play up age groups and play with boys and I, I was a little you know running around with a little skirt I had a boy haircut but I was running around with a skirt playing boys hockey I was like a bit confused about what's going on here but um yeah that's just country kids it's forever having to adapt and deal with what you've got there but um you know came up to the city as much as I could to train and um probably did come up at the right time to be able to progress as much as I did plus Barry's not too far away it's about two and a half three hours depends who was driving mum or dad so (laughs) (laughs) could come up enough yeah that's funny um I've actually got a lot of respect for hockey players because in high school I was always a basketball player growing up I mean pretty bad relatively speaking to an Olympian but in summer (laughs) sports you know, one of the options, there wasn't many options for me apart from hockey. It was then fun. My mates were playing it, but this is no slight on goalkeepers. They popped me in goalkeeper because I was very, I don't know, no skill with the stick whatsoever. <laughs> but that's why I reckon um, playing on grass, that would improve you because uh, you'd all of a sudden go to the turf and you'd just be a maestro with the stick. Yeah, 100%. I mean, trapping a ball. And it's weird because my trapping wasn't part of my, um, the best part of my game, but being able to trap and hit the ball and your skills had to be completely different. And then when I came up to the city and I was playing on turf, I was like, wow, this is so much easier. So um, 100%. And it is a really difficult game. And it's not a game that people can kind of, it's hard to pick up later in life. Um it's harder for left-handers because we don't have left-handed sticks. So it is a really difficult sport. It's um, very highly skilled. Um, and I think if you do start, the earlier start, the easier it is. Well, I'm a lefty. I tell you what, oh. <laughs> you have to be an absolute idiot to play goalie. <laughs> I don't think I realised at the time how dangerous that game was. It's a very hectic sport. Oh, the, 
the ball is very hard and the sticks are very hard and it comes at you very fast and very close. So, um, yeah, I haven't played in a while now and I kind of think sometimes, oh, I'm kind of glad I'm not because I don't feel like getting any cuts. The lower down you get in level as well sometimes, uh, the more dangerous it can be because there's not as much control. The sticks flying <laughs> around everywhere, is it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me if I'm off base with this question, but um, this is something that I kind of thought about sports that are, you know, for the wider public, really coming to view and, and popularity around Olympics time. Is that hard as, you know, a hockey player where every four years there's Olympics and obviously every two there's a Commonwealth Games and, and World Champs where there's that intense speculation and, you know, media coverage at that time, but then maybe in between those couple of years, it's kind of off the, the main yeah. sporting radar a bit. And it's really frustrating because they um, relate your success as a team to purely the Olympics when our World Cup is the exact same um, qualification event, the exact same um, event itself essentially. And although the Olympics are our pinnacle, um, to win a World Cup silver is not far off winning a silver medal at the Olympics Um but not, but only to hockey players, I guess not. It yep. doesn't have the same um, World Cup as soccer. Um, so, yeah, it is frustrating because, you know, we all underperformed, especially in Rio, we underperformed immensely, um, as did the entire Australian team of, you know, all sports. So um, a bizarre kind of event, especially, you know, the swimmers and everyone, no one really did better than expected and we did much worse than we should have. Um, and then that's what they define our success from. Um, and that's really frustrating when considering the, the four years prior since the London Olympics, we basically hadn't not medaled at an event. We've been winning golds and silvers everywhere we've been going, um, yet that's what it's measured from. So it is kind of frustrating um, from that. And saying that people seem to think we're still number one in the world because they remember Sydney where we won a gold medal there as um, from the home Olympics. So kind of works in our favour in that aspect. But um, it is frustrating. Um, but at the same time, that's just the, the way Olympic sports are, you know, Overseas, it's a different um, kettle of fish. You go to Argentina and you're treated like an absolute superstar. The men, yeah. when they go to India, um, it's a huge sport there. Um, you know, it's big in Holland, massive in Holland. Um, and that's where I'm lucky. That's where my World Cup was as well. So, you know, we were selling out, you know, 30,000 seat stadiums in Holland and um, there. It was huge there. It was an amazing event there for our World Cup. Um, England, it's getting bigger and bigger, especially after the England girls won their um, Olympic gold medal. So around the world, you kind of just have to, you know, put aside what Australians think. And I think hockey, especially the hockey roos, are a very respected team in Australia, mm -hmm. regardless of what media attention um, it gets, you know, you tell someone that you're a hockey roo and it's instantly is prick up. That's pretty cool. Um, whereas, you know, I, I probably until recently, if somebody said I'm a Matilda, they'd go, oh, what sport's that? So um, helps we've got our name in <laughs> the, the sport in the name. But um, I think it is a very respected sport, even though we don't get that media attention. I love that point you made because I, I just told my sister-in-law, she's a sports fanatic. She loves every sport. And um, I said, oh, I'm actually going to be chatting to Georgie Parker from the Hockey Roos. And she's like, oh, yeah, and we're chatting about hockey. And she's like, what's the men's team called again? Yeah, and I love that. That was a great and moment. <laughs> it's so funny, but I think it's because it, they often get misconstrued, the, the names, and I think because the Soccer Roos are the men's soccer team, people think the Hockey Roos should be 
the men's hockey team. So I remember when the men won uh, the World Cup gold, you know, in 2014, um, and it, the big half page or big full page spread in the paper and it said, hockey roos win gold medal. I'm thinking, we just won a silver the day before. So cute. We didn't win it. And a big picture of the boys on there. And that really frustrated me mm. at the same time. I'm like kind of thinking it's kind of nice because it never, the females team is never the most known team except in hockey. Yeah. And that I love that because it's not very often. And I do wish they gave a little bit more respect to those men who won that gold medal. But, you know, in terms of a female feminism kind of way, it's kind of nice that our team was front of mind because that doesn't really, very, very rarely happens. Yeah, that's spot on. Um I had another hockey question to ask you, but I wish I had written it down because now I'm forgetting what it was <laughs> talking about. We went off about five different tangents there. Now, I do want to ask you one thing, actually. Uh, I remember what it is. We're coming back to it. <laughs> another thing about hockey that, uh, you know, that intrigued me or, or seemed, you know, difficult. And again, you can, I'm looking forward to getting your, your uh, input on this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You, everyone has to go over to Perth. That's right. For, and be based there for yeah. their um, big training camps and, and all that stuff. Um, what's that like to, you know, does that, I guess there's a two-part question. A, is it hard? And B, does it improve camaraderie? Because everyone's all there together. Yeah, so we have to go to Perth. That's where our AIS is based. So, you know, a lot of sports go over to Canberra. I guess where would you rather be, Canberra or Perth? That's the first kind of thing. Um, living in Perth, it's probably for me coming from Adelaide, um, the easiest transition. It's a very similar kind of city, just a little bit warmer with better beaches. Um, so for me, it was really quite simple. Um, the time zone's annoying. In fact, they don't have daylight savings annoying, but it's a beautiful place to live in um, and very easy transition for me. A little bit harder for girls like Sydney girls um, or Melbourne people who are used to a little bit more hustle and bustle. But um, yeah, when I moved over there, I moved over there in 2011 and we had a huge intake of new players because we had a new coach come in. And it was great to be all there at the same time, coming over new, fresh. Um, and you're right, it does kind of improve camaraderie because you're all doing it together. We do travel a lot together as well, though. So, you know, we might be moving there, but we travel six months of the year. So whether we're there or not, um, you're still, you know, away together as a team. Um but, you know, it's a great place to live, so I love it. Um, and I guess when you're growing up and you're coming through the um, state-based institute programs, you know whatever sport you're doing, you know kind of where you're going to be. You know, cyclists know they're going to go to Adelaide if they're good enough. Kayakers or rowers, you know, they go a little bit everywhere, but mostly Queensland. You've got rugby seven girls know they're going to be going to Sydney. I knew that, you know, coming when I was 14, 15, 16, that if I was good enough, I was going to have to end up in Perth. Um, so you kind of come to terms with that fact pretty pretty early on in um, your athletic career. And um, I, I love it there. And, you know, I'll probably settle back there in the future. Now, I was going to save this for later, Georgie, but you've prefaced it there. So I may as well just jump straight in. You're talking about cycling and cyclists go to Adelaide. So if you cast your mind back to 2015, when you actually won the Worldwide Printing Sports Award as part of the Young Achiever Awards in SA, and you actually interrupted, you are the blip in a line of cyclists who won that award. Oh, am I? I did not know that. Because um, as you said, they're strong cycling culture in Adelaide and a lot of elite cyclists. Um, so we had, and I'll see if I get this right off the top of my head, it was Annette Edmondson, yep. then her brother Alex Edmondson, 
Makes sense. And then you won it. And I think sandwiched in between you, then there was Steph Morton and Rowan Dennis is in there somewhere as well. He was in the Tour de France. There you go. Steph Morton and the Edmondson um, siblings, Alex and Annette, both been to the Olympics. Um, Steph Morton, you know, obviously, I think she actually won. I don't want to get this wrong, actually. But, yeah, so there's a really elite line of cyclists there. And then they, there you are as well. Um, <laughs> then there I am. And, and it's hard, I guess, as a team sport to um, pick up, uh, allocate, allocate, is that the right word? Allocate, is that the right word? You know, awards, let's just say awards. Oh, yeah, yeah, collect awards, <laughs> I don't know. To get awards like that because um, it's hard to, as a team person, to it's not just me it's a huge team effort and um as opposed to cyclists that you know their achievements are very specific to them um so i was very very um i guess shocked and surprised when i did win that award back then um but in saying that we had a brilliant year as a team the year prior um and i tried to um, do as much as i can good for the community as well that year too so it was a um a very very nice award that i win that won that and to be surrounded by you know they are elite other people to have won that award um you know a lot of olympic medalists in there as well so um was very very honored well quickly i'll um mention who was who else was a finalist so steph morton was a finalist that year and like i said i think she won at the following uh sally kehoe who was an olympic rower three times olympian was a finalist and anthony dean who he was olympian in 2016 with bmx um that's a pretty incredible list of finalists there Adelaide finalists um including yourself of course so uh but going back to that um so that year that was a huge year for you 2014 because that was the um, Commonwealth Games and the World Cup is that right in 2014 yes correct yeah so no wonder you were so prominent in that award and then I also believe from memory that you were um quite involved with are you okay the charity and, and are you okay day and, and things like that which um, I believe contributed as well on the, you know, your community involvement side of things. I guess my leading to my question is um, what kind of areas are you passionate about this day outside of sport? Is there anything that's kind of um, got your attention at the moment? Oh, I, I still, I guess, push that as a lot of um, people my age do push that mental health side of things as well. I actually ended up donating my um, prize money to Are You Okay Day um, that I won as well from that. Um, because it's just such a, a hidden, I guess, illness that, you know, the, the more you talk about it, the more people are willing to um, help themselves or help others around them. So I guess I'm still really passionate about that as, um, like I said, many people my age, um, but, you know, as well, I'm, um, I love my coaching. I do as much coaching as I can as well. Um, and, you know, speaking to schools, um, things like that work as much as I can in, um, in the sports world, which is a very male-dominated world, which is a um, a tricky world to be in, but um, I love the challenges that that gives me as well, and um, yeah, just kind of live live my best life as my, as I can, and especially in this year, it's been difficult to do, I guess, but try to see the best in everything that you can. Nice one, I guess. To let listeners know, and um, if you're happy for me to say this, you've just moved back from Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Sorry, moved back from Perth to Melbourne. Straight into a lockdown as we record this. <laughs> well, I thought I was going to escape it all because I left Melbourne in March last year, so I didn't really get a lockdown because I went to Perth. Then I came back here and then Perth went into a really random five-day lockdown over one case. And then I thought, I am, you know, I'm escaping COVID. COVID does not want to come near me. 
thought I was on top of the world and then bam, here I am in a lockdown and I've just moved <laughs> to this place. We don't even have furniture in our house at the oh, moment, no. We're still in transit. So look, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a grim situation here for me at the moment, but um, you know, you've got to do what you've got to do and um, being locked inside is not the worst thing. I've just started golf. So I'm sit, sitting out the front with my um, putting mat every day. So I'm going to be very, very good at a three meter putt by the end of this, that's for sure. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to come up with creative ways don't you to be uh, to be active yeah exactly physically mentally all those kinds of things um and try to do things where you're using your hands so you're not just sitting on your phone or all day every day um just taking in way too much junk information that was that was my kind of thing i don't want to be looking at the kardashians any more than i have to yep here's a hot tip to anyone listening turn off the screen time report on your phone if you oh, are <laughs> I've done that. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So the other question I had, Dan, that I wanted to ask you was about, you know, your uh, media appearances, because you've been, you know, across quite a few different things, as I said, in the the opening there in the top um, on print and radio and TV, you know, did you really enjoy that? Are you looking to do more or um, yeah, tell us about that kind of aspect of your career. So I studied journalism and PR at uni um, and my goal was always to work within the AFL media. Um, it's a tough, tough place to get work in. And I was another reason why I went back and played footy as well. And, and specifically for Collingwood when I had other clubs, but probably a little bit smaller clubs um, chatting to me. Um, but yeah, so I always wanted to work within AFL and within sport. I love it. It's my passion. It's what I do on weekends. I just sit there and watch my sport. I love it. Um, so yeah, I've been really, really blessed when I was playing hockey. People seem to want to help you out a lot when you're an Olympian and when you um, are representing your country. So while I was playing hockey, I did a lot of work experience within the radio and TV realm. Um, you know, I was writing for um, things like The Messenger. I don't even know if The Messenger still exists, but I was writing for the Adelaide Messenger, the community paper there. I was writing uh, monthly columns for them just to kind of leverage off of the hard work, work I've done with sport um, and then be using my degree into, you know, something that I love as well. So I did all that kind of work experience going through. And then, um, you know, when I finished and was playing footy, I was, you know, had those connections that really helped me, you know, get on, um, on, on seven VFL broadcasts and AFLW broadcasting. I was working with ABC for um, boundary writing for the AFL as well. And um, it helps when you've got, when you're mates with people like Andy Ma. So he put me on the front bar, which was awesome. Um, I, I've been really, really blessed with those opportunities, but, you know, I, I do want to stress that I did work really hard to be able to forge those connections. And um, it's nice to be able to show for something because when you, when you're playing sport, and, you know, I was coming out of that at 30 and I'd never worked a real job before in my life. And it's quite daunting, but you have to remind yourself that you actually have been taking steps while you're playing sport. Um, and, you know, I was probably in a better position than many male athletes because I have to start planning for that the entire time, knowing that I don't have this big bank account that's <laughs> full um, after my sport. So I worked as hard as I could while I was playing to to give me the best options possible when I do finish. Um, and I love it. I love working in that environment because it's every week's different. Um, it's exciting. It's um, what I love doing, what I love watching. So I've combined everything all together. It's um, really fun. And I, I love that, you know, there's, there's no ceiling really, especially now where there's more and more opportunities coming. 
you know, COVID clearly affected things. I was going to be working on the broadcast for the Olympics. So that was really annoying mm. that um, that came in just at a time that I was, you know, really starting to settle in and um, feel comfortable in what I was doing. It wasn't so um, nerve wracking and anxiety riddling going on live TV by this stage. But um, yeah, you know, that's just is what it is and you take it as it comes. So see how many more cliches I can rat- rattle off now. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, um, <laughs> no, I've I've seen you on um on the I think it was the footy coverage and yeah, you did seem really good and, and natural on camera, and um, especially that what you said resonated about you know the male athletes who maybe don't need to prepare for that, um, which is a shame of course. But and an example of that, and again, this is no slight because I love Archie Thompson. I've got his jersey hanging up in my uh, his kit hanging up in my closet. It's taken him a while to become really comfortable on uh, the, fo- the football coverage. You know, it's a legend exactly. of the game in Australia. I know what you mean. You have to put in the work to, to kind of take advantage yeah. of the opportunities. It, it, 100%. It's flying hours and it's time in front of camera and it's time um, being able to work. It's a new craft that you've got to learn. We actually had Archie Thompson on my podcast. I've got a podcast called That's What She Said. And we had um, one of the um, athletes is Mel Barbieri, the former Matildas captain. And we had Archie Thompson on and he, he's, speak some really funny stories especially when he kicked so many goals in that game and very he's kind of embarrassed about it so he says some good yarns in there so a little plug for my little podcast <laughs> yeah he i mean he's that's he's great at chatting off the cuff about stories and and, and stuff yeah. like that and that would be i want to listen to that episode actually because i love Archie. <laughs> so. and i guess i did have one question specifically you mentioned andy in the front bar this is what i've always wondered when they have their beers sitting there do they actually drink them <laughs> do you know what uh, Mick Malloy drinks him because he loves it there. <laughs> I, like uh, <laughs> I was too nervous to drink to drink it I wasn't sure if I was allowed to they're allowed to drink it um in any section other than the the betting section because you don't want to be promoting alcohol with with gambling because you should be always making sure you're cohesive with your thoughts when you're um gambling so they're allowed to drink in any other segments but um Mick Malloy though he, he'll happily you know drink and next time you watch it you'll notice his beer is nearly finished by the end of the show and the rest of them only have a couple of sips <laughs> well that's why I asked because I'm trying to wrap my head like remember back and I'm thinking I've seen the beers go down but I can't remember them drinking but maybe they do take cheeky <laughs> sips here and there yeah I, I was too nervous to drink drink any beer but they have a couple yeah I would be the same I know exactly what you mean well um I, before we go I did want to ask you quickly you know, we may have covered it already, but can you tell us uh, something that inspires you personally, Georgie? We're on the Australian, the I'll try that again. We're on the Inspirational Australians podcast. So, what inspires you? I think you've got to look for inspiration in in a lot of things you do, and I think you kind of pigeonhole yourself if you only look at one thing to inspire you, because um, you can literally find it anywhere. And I think that's kind of what makes you quite a rounded person. You know, I mean, for example, my sister is an absolute battler when it comes to exercise. She's not at all athletic, not at all coordinated. Yet the other day I was in bed and I was thinking, oh, I really don't want to go to the gym today. The day before my sister completed her first ever five kilometer run. And that inspired me that day to go from my exercise. So I think that if you can literally find inspiration in anything and anyone, just the same way that any single person in this world, whether you're three or whether you're a hundred has something to teach you. Um, a three-year-old knows things that I don't know. 
um, just like I know much a lot that they don't know. So I think that if you find knowledge and inspiration in anything you do, you're going to be quite a rounded person. And um, in the end, like I, I don't particularly want to be it's probably quite contradictory, but, you know, I just want to be a quite a normal person that's really happy in everything that I do, but takes pride in anything I do. And that's why I'm talking about being a rounded person and it's okay to not be Serena Williams, but it is, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't be continually get better at what you're doing. And that's by finding those little bits of inspiration, whatever you're doing every day. I love that. We can't all be the goat, but we can kind of do, you what, can- you know, do what we can you can be improving in everything you do and be a good person. And that's more important. And thank you for the little inspiration because um, if an Olympian struggles with going to the gym occasionally, then I don't feel so bad. <laughs> oh, so, honestly, I couldn't believe it. And then I told her and she goes, what? I inspired you. Wow. Like she was so stoked. Like, You'll never yeah. hear the end. <laughs> I won't. You're right. <laughs> that's great. And so you mentioned your podcast. Where can people find that? If they want to hear more, Georgie. Yeah, you can find that on Spotify and iTunes, just called That's What She Said. Just type that in and you'll pop, you'll see my head popping up there. With It's with Mel Barbieri and Ashley Nelson, who is a um, superstar hockey player that I played with, um, played over 200 games for Australia. So she is an absolute star as well. So it's quite fun, really lighthearted um, and plenty of good guests on there as well as absolute chatter about nothing so it depends on if you like 45 minutes to 60 minutes of absolute junk it's a good one to listen to no i love it um so and you people can connect with you on twitter instagram and facebook we'll put the links to that in our show notes and uh, yeah thanks so much for taking the time to uh, to come on today georgie appreciate it no thanks for having me loved it i hope you enjoyed that interview if you liked it or any of our other episodes it would be great if you can rate and review the Inspirational Australians podcast. It really helps us out. If someone you know needs a little dose of inspiration, why not let them know about this podcast? And if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed so that you won't miss an episode. Join us each week as we talk with ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. You can always head to our website at awardsaustralia.com podcast for more information and details on each guest. Now, before we go, I'd like to thank Annette, our producer. Here's a fun fact. Annette is my mum, and our other host, Jeff, is my dad. This podcast is brought to you by Awards Australia, a family-owned business that proudly uncovers the stories of people who make a difference for others. We can only do this with the support of our corporate and not-for-profit partners as they make our awards programs possible. So do you know someone making a difference? If you'd like to recommend someone to be a guest on the podcast, get in touch through our Instagram page, inspirational.australians. Or maybe your business might like to sponsor the podcast or get involved with the awards we run. Head to our website, awardsaustralia.com for more details. Until next week, stay safe. And remember, together we make a difference. Thanks for joining us today on the Inspirational Australians podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening and have been inspired by ordinary Australians achieving extraordinary things. So it's goodbye for another week. Remember, together we make a difference.